Ah, that was beautiful, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, this morning, I think it's only right that we take a moment of silence and prayer as we mourn the violence and the injustice of the crazy world that we live in, in light of the tragedy in Paris, um, but also remembering the double suicide bombing killing 40 in Beirut, and the continued violence in Baghdad, the ongoing hatred and, and violence in the world. I think we should stop and take a, a moment. After a, a short time, uh, I'm going to lead us in a congregational prayer. Your, your response will be on the screen here, and we'll pray this together. But let's just take a moment. God of mercy, whose presence sustains us in every circumstance, in the midst of unfolding violence and the aftermath of terror and loss, we seek the grounding power of your love and compassion. In these days of fearful danger and division, we need to believe somehow that your kingdom of peace, in which all nations and tribes and languages will one day dwell together, is still a possibility. Give us hope and courage. We pray for our neighbors in Paris, in Beirut, and in Baghdad, who in the midst of the grace of ordinary life, while at work or at play, have been violently assaulted, their lives cut off without mercy. We open our hearts in anger and sorrow. We're trying to hang on to hope that those who have been spared, as well as those whose lives have changed forever, may find solace and strength in the days of recovery to come. We give thanks for all those who comfort the wounded and who welcome the hurting, whom they don't even know. We thank you for those first responders who run toward the sound of gunfire and into the smoke and fire of bombing sites. We grieve the continued erosion of the fabric of our common life and the reality of fear that warps the common good. We pray in grief, remembering the lives that have been lost and maimed in body or spirit. We ask for sustaining courage for those who are suffering. We ask for wisdom and diligence among global and national agencies and individuals assessing threat and directing relief efforts. these days of shock and sorrow, open our eyes, our hearts, and our hands to the mo movements of your spirit, which flow in us like the river whose streams make glad the city of God and the hearts of all who dwell in it and in you. Amen. 
In the name of Christ, our healer, our light, and our only hope for peace, we pray. Amen. We've asked Juliana to come up and read this morning's scripture. Juliana. Um, we will be reading in Galatians 5, 16 to 25. Walk by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you. Thank you, Juliana. So good to be together. So, when I was growing up, one of my favorite TV shows was American Gladiators. Now, it was the old school version. <laughs> and in the show, some weekend warrior who worked three jobs but somehow stayed incredibly physically fit would then come against these, these scantily clad, steroid-enhanced gladiators and somehow battle and see if they could, they could come through and win and beat the gladiators. So I, I just always liked this show. This show was so great. So in 2008, when the show came back online, and they came through my town in Boulder looking for contestants. Of course, I tried out. <laughs> Sadly, after my six hours of waiting in line and my tryout, I didn't get chosen. Yeah, too bad. Maybe next time. But instead of my getting on the TV show, I had something better. For my bachelor party, for my wedding, one of my, my groomsmen found this, this uh, American Gladiator arena run by a former American Gladiator champion. And so... So in, really, in short, it was the ultimate playground for, for adults. We called it our man ground. We go, and you just have all kinds of competitions and beating up each other and bashing and smashing and wrestling and tackling until you can't walk anymore. So that's our crew. They put me in a pink, put me in a pink outfit, and, and we had a blast with some good old-fashioned romping. Yeah, I'm going to show one example. This, this one where we run each other with, these, with exercise balls and try to knock each other down. So those are like, those are exercise balls, but that's like the moment of our collision where they're smashed that far. And that guy weighs about 240. We, we were, it was great. It was such a great day, our gladiator experience. Going to battle was so much fun. Today, we get a well-known passage about a battle. But it's a battle that's not outside of ourselves. It's actually waged within us. As Juliana read from Galatians 5, Paul here is describing this conflict between the flesh or the sinful nature and the spirit. 
Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. They oppose each other. What does it mean that the flesh is opposed to the Spirit? Let's start with what it isn't. This doesn't mean that our physical bodies are bad at their core. The Orthodox Church has always affirmed that our bodies are good, made good, gifts from God, as they're rightly ruled by our spirit and our soul in submission to God. The problem is, ever since Adam and Eve chose not to trust God, and sin marred that good humanity that God has made, this marred humanity is what Paul calls the sinful nature. It's no, we're no longer rightly ruled by the soul and the spirit in submission to God. Instead, our flesh rules us, making us slaves to what it wants at any moment. For me, an example of this is, is eating. I mean, God made us to enjoy good food as a gift from him. It's, that's a good thing. But we, in our sinful nature, have, have, that, that gift has become corrupted. And so... Instead of receiving it as a gift, we just take and want it as our desire brings it up. When we smell a cookie, a fresh baked cookie, we want to eat it right now and eat 10 more right now. At least I do. Maybe not you. Mrs. Fields Cookies has this down, right, in the mall. They, 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 kind of, they must have some fans, I think, you know, blowing out this chocolate cookie smell in, into the walkway. So you're walking by and you're like, oh, man, that smells good. And... Right there, we, we want it, right now. That's our, that's our flesh saying, I want it, and I want it now. This happens not just with something like food, but in all kinds of ways. And so Paul invites us into this battle, this battle against it's the flesh and its sinful desires, the corrupt, its corrupted desires. And he lists 15 different vices, the acts of the flesh he lists here. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And, just to make sure we don't think this is meant to be an exhaustive list, and things like this. <laughs> so he's like, you get the idea. One thing I have to note about these, notice the, the individual and the communal nature of these. We talk about sexual morality. There's the individual part for the parties involved. When, we, when, when people engage in sex with someone who's not, they're not in a committed marriage relationship with, there's, there's a pain when that relationship is broken. And what the Bible says, that's like a, what has become one flesh is now ripped in two, emotionally, physically, spiritually, ripped apart. There's tons of hurt for that person. There's individual pain and, and destruction that comes from that. But also, there's communal pain and destruction that comes from that as a community, is, is impacted by these two people who they love. When they, have to, when they see and have to choose sides of two people that they love, when they uh, have to somehow try to come alongside and walk through the healing process of what happens when something that's one flesh has been ripped in two, there's individual and communal aspects to this, the effects of the sin. It goes with all of them. If you look at the enmity, enmity uh, jealousy, fits of anger, divisions, envy, all of us, those hurt us, right, as we're filled with anger and, and hatred. That makes us less alive. But also clearly affects others. And we see with the, the racial tension and, and, and troubles that seem to continue to, to, well, not seem to, they are continually part of what's going on in our country right now. It's communal as well as individual. It's both. As we celebrate Cultural Awareness Week this week, maybe it's a particularly 
fitting to notice the ways that those enmity and jealousy and hatred are part of what Paul mentions here, something that we are meant to oppose. So after this list, Paul then levels us with verse 21. That's one we kind of, can be a little confusing, and it's pretty strong. I warn you, as I warned you before, he says, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yikes. Well, the simple message is this. Sin is serious. Paul's calling the churches in Galatia and us today to recognize sin for what it is. An evil perversion of God's good creation. And then to fight it with everything that we have. Sin is meant to be opposed. And Paul says, bring out the sword. <laughs> this isn't, a, this isn't a light matter for Paul. This is serious. Sin is serious. We are meant to hate sin. We are meant to oppose it. Sin is serious. But before we break out our swords, we have to be careful not to miss what Paul is saying in his invitation to this battle. There's actually a prerequisite for entering into the fight. As we've seen in Paul's letter over the past few weeks, Paul teaches the Galatian church that they've received a new identity as God's children, regardless of their ethnic background or their, their, the, how they obey the law or not. They have a new identity as freed children of God in and through Jesus the Messiah. This is now who they are. They're no longer ones who, who can make themselves right by God or try through their efforts. But if they're led by the Spirit, they're not under the law. They received a new identity in God's Spirit in order that they could obey God by loving others. Just like we talked about last week. That's the new freedom, right, that God gives us by His Spirit. If we skip to the end of our passage, we see how we gain this new identity in Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Paul says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. At the cross, the sinful humanity is crucified in Jesus. The primary and concrete way that God invites us and shows us to experience this change of our identity is baptism. In baptism, we're buried with Christ into the water. And into the water, our old life, our old self, the flesh is left there. And we're raised up to new life. A new life, a new person, a new identity, clothed in Christ and, and empowered by His Spirit. In a little way, it's like when Coach Logie gives a new freshman basketball player here at Whitworth his new jersey. I didn't ask Ben if I could do this, but it's on the website. So, <laughs> If you know Ben, you can tell him. He was famous. So now, Ben and these other freshmen, they're no longer, they're no longer part of their high school team. They have a new identity. They're now a Whitworth Pirate. And if you're playing a basketball game at 1 in the morning sometime, not that it ever happens, but just in case that ever did happen, maybe some of you happen to be watching that game, you know who to pass to because they have the same jersey. This is our identity in Christ. We, are, we see in a baptism. We are buried with Christ in baptism. Sinful flesh is gone, and a new life has come. So before we can go into battle and use our sword, we have to do something else. We have to pick up our white flag and surrender. We don't expect that. It doesn't make sense, right? But first, we have to surrender. We walk by the Spirit, and then we won't gratify the desires of sinful nature. It's only in surrendering that we find the power to go in to fight the battle against sin. 
And some of you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the relationship between faith and good works. And we talked about how there's a certain order. Faith comes first, and then the good works. It's not commutative, right? You can't switch it. Or a little math, or some of my math geekness coming out. Well, it's the same with this. You can't switch it. We don't just fight our sinful nature on our own without surrendering first. Because if we do, we're going to fail or end up in legalism or pride or despair. It starts here. We surrender first. And then we go to battle against the sinful flesh. As ones who trusted in Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer enslaved because of the surrender, because we are new in Christ. Slave, we are not mastered by the sinful flesh anymore. And then we fight it. We fight what Calvin calls the relics of the flesh. They're going to hang with us. None of us are going to be perfect ever until heaven. But until then, we know who we are in Jesus as ones, as sons and daughters of God, redeemed and clothed with Christ. And then we fight sin with all we have, both our individual sin and the sin of this world. And saying, there's no way I'm going to let this, this stuff, this distortion of God's good creation continue to stand. So we first raise our flag, and then we fight. And then we raise our flag, and then we fight. It's like a cycle. We surrender and we fight. And as we go, what happens is, we actually don't even just do that. It kind of becomes all the same time. We're surrendering and fighting at the same time. Jesus, I surrender to you by your spirit. And in that surrender, his spirit is empowering us to fight and freeing us, reminding us our identity. And we're surrendering more and we're fighting. And we become more and more the people and the ambassadors of God's good work in this world that God made us to be. And as that's all happening, something beautiful happens. We're transformed. We are transformed when that happens. Dan, come on up. And something starts showing up in us. Some fruit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control emerges out of us. Not because we made it, but just like any good tree, we soaked in the sun, we soaked in the nourishment of God's spirit, the goodness of God's life, and in that, fruit starts to be born in us like a apple tree carrying all kinds of apples up on Greenbluff. And so what does this look like on the ground? We could talk about a lot. I hope you talk about this today. What does it look like for you to live in surrender and in, and in the fighting of the sinful nature and in the goodness of the fruit of the Spirit? But one way the church has done this over the years, understood this, is the spiritual disciplines. As long as we don't think we can manipulate God by these, these can be amazing tools for surrender and fighting the sinful nature and receiving the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit. So, we serve people, we study scripture, we pray, we meditate on scripture, we fast, we have solitude and silence, we, we, take, we, we engage in Christian fellowship, we worship, we take the Lord's Supper, we confess. These are practices that the church has learned, ways we can surrender and fight and become the people of God who God has made us to be, both in us and as in us, God uses us to bless and bring life to a broken world. That's the truth and the goodness of this battle that we're invited into today. Let's stand and sing in response to God.